We are in the series going through the book of Jude, um, and uh, Jude is, again, it's a short book. Um, it's at the very end of the Bible, right before Revelation, and if you remember last week, um, Pastor Tim challenged us reading in verse 3, um, it, it says that it challenges us to contend for the faith, and, and when I think of contending, um, there's, I, I think about college football. You know, college football is coming. Anybody ready for that? That, that doesn't seem sure. It, it's the wives in the room that are nudging you guys, right? Um, they're, they're saying, no, I'm not ready for Saturdays to be gone again. Um, but it's always a dream of mine. It's all, like the best part of college football. You know, when you get a yell, OH, and everybody else says, so OH. It's great. Now we don't talk about the other team. Um, and we, we like the idea of contending, right? If you, anybody's into college football, you, you look at the preseason polls, right? And the preseason polls say, hey, kind of their experts got together and were thinking these teams have great chances of not just winning a ton of games, but contending for the national championship. They're good enough. And there's other teams, right? They, they have the excuses of why they aren't good enough. Like there's some that teams that will use the phrase, uh, we're in the rebuilding stage. This is a rebuilding year for us. And it just is a good excuse if you aren't doing so good. It's a, hey, we're just in rebuilding phase. We're, and this is why we're not win, winning games. But then if they're winning games, it's like, hey, we're pretty good. But there's only a few teams really, especially the way college football has been going the last few years, there's only a certain amount of teams that are like, they're actually as good as what everybody anticipates, right? There's a few teams that they're like, well, we expected this. We expected them to dominate. Here's the thing. As believers, as Christians, what Romans 8 says, that you and I were more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. So we aren't just meant to play the game. We're contenders. We're meant to win, not through our strength, because in our strength, we're not going to win. But through him who strengthens us. And so Jude is writing to you and to me to contend for the faith, because we're more than conquerors. And just like any good team, any great team, they study they watch film to see who they're up against. Jude is writing this letter, and, and he, we spent time last week looking up who we're up against, and we're going to continue for a little bit to see who we're up against again, where Jude writes, and he says in verse 14, it was about these men, so the ones that we're up against, that Enoch, and, and then he's about to quote out of this ancient book of Enoch, uh, and it's, here's the thing. The ancient book of Enoch was not viewed as scripture, but it was highly respected by early believers. And so as Jude quotes uh, out of this ancient book of Enoch, he's not trying to add anything new to scripture. He's not going to try to teach us anything new. He's already he's taking what the Bible already teaches us and just describing it with this vivid description. 
And so he says again, it was also about these men that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied saying, behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all the ungodly of all their ungodly deeds, which they have done in an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So what Jude is saying is that judgment is certain. It's coming. Judgment is certainly coming on those who are ungodly. Because of their ungodly deeds, their ungodly way, because of their sin. Because they're, they're, they're not just they're sinning, but they're speaking against a holy, perfect, righteous God. So they're going to be found, what Jude is describing, he's saying they're going to be found guilty, convicted, guilty of all their crime, of their sin. They're going to be found guilty. They're going to face judgment. And he then describes in the next verse, here's the sins. Here's the deeds. Here's the way. Their ungodliness. This is what, what's going on, what he's describing. He says, these are grumblers. They, they're finding fault. They're falling after their own lusts. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. Why are they ungodly? Because they're complaining. It's like Israel. If you know this, remember the history of Israel, and, and Judah's already described this earlier. He, he said, Israel, when they, are, when they leave Egypt and they're wandering in the wilderness, they start complaining. They're grumbling. They're actually wishing they could be back in Egypt. But God has been providing for them all along. He, he splits the Red Sea. He frees the nation. He, there's the plagues before the Red Sea. He splits the, the Red Sea. They walk across on dry ground. Now they're wandering. They, they, they're begging for food and water. And God keeps providing for them. And what do they do? Over and over again, they complain. And they think they're complaining against Moses but they're ultimately complaining against his God. They're complaining. Judah's describing people that aren't just complainers, but they love pointing out the mistakes in others. That's who we're up against. They, they're gonna love pointing out the mistakes, the faults, the sin of others. They won't wanna look at themselves. They don't wanna take ownership of their mistakes, their sin. And so they deflect, they point out others' mistakes, man, they think they have all the right ways. They're arrogant. They, they follow their own desires, their passions. And they're manipulative. This is what we're up against. They, they use people for their own personal gain. See, Jude is telling us, hey, as we are looking at the film, this is what we're up against. And to ultimately, even more, to know how or what we're up against, you got to know how to look at the film as believers. How to study film. 
We don't have a, a, a TV in front of us to say, hey, this is, this is what we're up against. What is the way we, how, or how do we study film? So what Jude says next. He says, but you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you, in the last time there will be mockers falling after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions. They're worldly-minded. They're devoid of the Spirit. How we watch film is by remembering the words. And the only way for us to remember the words is knowing the words. So how often are you in the Word? Because he's saying, hey, remember the words of the apostles. The only way to know the words of the apostles is by knowing the word, remembering it. How often are we in it? Do we know it? Because what he says, what we're up against is, is people who are going to follow their own, own ungodly lusts, who are mock truth. The only way for you to know truth is you to remember truth. And they're going to try to creep in. They're going to cause, try to cause division. And they're worldly-minded. They're more focused on people and, and having, people's, uh, having people's approval rather than a God's. And they're devoid of the Spirit, Jude says. See, as believers, we're filled with the Spirit. He's saying what we're up against is people who aren't filled. They, they don't have the Spirit. They're, they haven't gone from death to life. They're dead spiritually. That's why Paul, he says in 1 Thessalonians verse five, or chapter 5, starting in verse 21, he says, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to which is good, Abstain from every form of evil. Examine everything carefully. Anything anyone is telling you, examine it Remember by remembering the words. Pick up, look at the film. Is it truth? Is it good? Even anything that's coming from this stage at Grace, you should examine everything carefully to make sure it measures up it matches his truth, the word. You're called to remember the word. That's how we contend. We hold fast to which is good, abstain from everything that is evil. Because John 10, 10, it tells us the thief, only, he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy to bring ruin and destruction. So anything that is not truth found here, it, 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 is, it is meant to ruin, bring ruin. That's what Satan's goal is to do in people's lives, to bring destruction and ruin. What does Jesus do? At the very end of that verse, John 10, 10, it's, it's, again, it says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus has come to give you life and give it to you abundantly. bring you life in the fullest. And, and so we are called to examine everything carefully. 
holding fast to what is good and leaving, abstaining from anything that is evil. Because we don't want to buy what the world is selling. And so we examine, we remember the word, we remember truth. And so Judas spends some time, and he's going, hey, this is what you're up against. And you gotta know it. But like any good team, they watch and they watch the film and they see who they're up against and then they come up with a game plan. And so how do we contend? We contend by remaining in the fight. He says this in verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, Praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And he starts out and he goes, but you, beloved, and it's for weird, kind of weird phrase, beloved, he, Jude uses often through the book, this letter. Beloved, those of you who are loved by God that have come to a point of deciding on Jesus where you humbled yourself, realizing you deserve the judgment of God. You deserve to be found guilty because of all your ungodly deeds, your ungodly way, but you've humbled yourself under his authority, giving him your life. You're the beloved you're the ones who are loved by God and you're called to be building yourself up in the most holy faith. It's holy because of who it's founded on. It's holy because of Jesus. And you're called to build your faith on the foundation. It's like the song we were singing earlier. Firm foundation. Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. When everything around me is shaken, I'm glad that I put my faith in Jesus. We're building, making sure our foundation is secured on him. And then, Jude goes on, he says, praying in the Holy Spirit. And, and he's not saying, per, he's not talking about some ultra spiritual prayer life here. He, he just described people who are, who are up against that he, he said they're devoid of the Spirit. They, they don't have the Spirit. They're not made, they're, 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 not, they're still dead spiritually. But you and I, if we have trusted in Jesus, if we're the beloved, then we have the Spirit. Of God living in us. And as believers, we are called to remain in the fight. And one of the ways we remain in the fight, we use one of the greatest offensive weapons you and I are given. Prayer. We're praying. We find ourselves praying often to remain in the fight, to contend for the faith. We're praying. We're building ourselves up in the most holy faith founded on Jesus. We're praying. And he says, keep yourself in the love of God. What is he talking about there? What does it mean to keep yourself in the love of God? It, it, just as like believers, we're told 
we are the temple of the Holy Spirit because God's Spirit living inside of us, we are called to honor God with ourselves, honor God with our body, honor God with our life. And then there's this description that we're given in scripture that we're running a race as believers. We're all running a race, heading towards our prize, heading towards Jesus. And that we should lay aside anything that is slowing us down in that race. Whatever it might be, whether that's sin or it's distractions, that we would put it aside so we could be fixed on Jesus, so we could run the race the way it was meant to run, that we could pursue him and run towards him, the author, perfecter of our faith. We keep ourselves set apart different from the world. Yeah, we're a part of the world, we're in the world, but we're not of the world so that we can be set apart, we can keep ourselves in the love of God so that we can be used by him. It's the way we remain in the fight. And then he goes on and he says, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Kind of, find it really interesting. He says, wait anxiously. And anxiousness, most of the time in scripture is looked at as a negative, but here Jude writes it as a positive. It's negative most of the time and it's sinful most of the time because of the fact that when we're anxious and we're called to be in, in the Bible to be anxious for nothing. But when we're anxious, usually it's because we're not relying on God. We're trying to have all the control. We're trying to have the reins and be in control rather than trusting in him who is in control. So anxiousness is normally wrong, but Jude describes waiting anxiously and he says for, for his return, for Jesus to return, which is one of the foundations that we believe, right? We believe that Jesus died and he rose again. And we believe when he died and rose again, he provided a way for you and I to be right with God if we would trust in him, if we would decide on Jesus. And we believe in that new life, if we have decided on Jesus, we're given new life, we're forgiven, we're redeemed. And in that new life we're given, we're promised eternal life. And we're promised that Jesus one day will return back to take his beloved with him. It's going to be an amazing moment. And so we're called to wait anxiously. It's like this. This week I, I came home a little bit later at one of the days of the week um, than the others. And uh, I have a son who's one. And he's starting to walk now and, and talk, and it's the mumbling, you know, talk. And, and, but there's certain words that he can kind of say, and you're like, yeah, I know, what he, I know what you're saying. Or you've gotten the weird, fake, weird speech, and you're like, how do I understand this weird language? Um, but I, I came home, and in our, in our way our house goes, he goes through this breezeway, and you go into the kitchen, and in between the kitchen and, and the living room is, we got this gate uh, and that gate is to keep the dog and the kids all separated a little bit, um, and the toys and all that nonsense. But 
I come through the door and here's Will and he's just eye level with this gate. He, and so to look over it, he has to get on his tiptoes and he's looking and he's peering over and he's just sitting there with his hands in, and he's got this big old smile and he's like, dada, dada, dada. And he's just pumped up and I'm like, yeah, and I run over there and pick him up, and then my daughter runs over. She's like, wait, you forgot about me, and I'm like, I didn't forget about you, so I'm now picking them both up, trying to hang out with them, and, and then it's just chaos, right? That's what happens, but it was this great moment because he was went away from me. It's like he's waiting for me to just come through the door just to be like, Dad, you're home, even though it wasn't those words. It was like, Dad, you're home, right? For some of us, we've experienced this. We're the, we were the groom. And we were at the bottom of the aisle on your wedding day. And you're stand, standing there and you're nervous. You're anxiously waiting for the doors to swing wide open. And so you're looking down the aisle because you're just waiting to get the glimpse of your bride. You're waiting anxiously. See, as believers, we wait anxiously for the day that we get to be in front of him, in front of our Savior, that we're finally home. And we're waiting for his return. And it's motivation to contend. as we wait, as we build ourselves up in the most holy faith, as we pray, as we keep in the love, uh, uh, keeping in his love, and as we wait anxiously for his return. But we don't just sit back and we aren't doing anything as believers. We're called to do something while we wait. One of the best ways we can contend and we can stay in the fight is by sharing what we've gotten to experience. We share our faith with others. It's what Jude goes into next. He has spent his whole, the whole letter, he has been talking about what we're up against and reminding of us of that. And begging us to contend for the faith. And then he gets in these two verses and he says, and have mercy on some who are doubting. Have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some, have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. He goes, have mercy on some. Why? Because they're doubting. And, and then he brings it up with some intensity and he goes, save others, rescue them. And then more intensity, because they're in the fire. They're needing saving. They need rescued. And on others, brings it back down, have mercy but this time with fear, not because you're afraid of them or you're fearful of them, but you're fearful because you know what happens 
when people follow their ungodly deeds in their ungodly way. You know, we know, when we follow our paths, not his, it will bring destruction and ruin. And so we're fearful. And we're ultimately fearful because we know if they never come to a point of trusting in Jesus and they, they keep running and following their ungodly deeds, their ungodly way, that they will face judgment for their sin. And it will be righteous. And they will spend eternity separated from God in hell. And so Jude is writing, he says, contend. Because there's going to, some, they're doubting. Some, guess what? They, you, you need to rescue them because they're in the fire. And the only way you can rescue them and by snatching them out of the fire is that you're in the fire. You're in the fight. Save others with fear because you're afraid of the destination, and then he ends, he says, hating even the garment polluted by flesh, hating the sin, but we're for the people. We hate the sin because we know the destruction and ruin it will bring. But we are for the people. See, Earlier when I said who, who we're up against and we gotta contend for our faith, this is what happens I think sometimes. We go, man, as Christians, yeah, we gotta contend. We gotta contend. And we're, we're right in that. But we, we do it with the wrong, in the wrong way. It, it, it's like we get on Facebook and we see something that is, is wrong, it's sinful, and we just want to blast them for living in sin. The goal of Christianity isn't behavior modification, right? The goal in Christianity is point people to truth, point people to Jesus. Point them to him. And have mercy on some because they're doubting. Save others. Rescue them because they're in the fire. Have mercy on others with fear. We're completely for people, and sometimes we forget that. But then there's the flip side. And like, I, as I say that, sometimes we go, yeah, it's all about love. And we're right. But we're also wrong. We, we, sometimes we get it all wrong. We, we try to do too much mercy with, with, and in that we're forgetting the intensity. We're, we're trying to do it all with love, but we forget we're supposed to hate even the garment polluted by flesh. Hate the sin. We call sin, sin. And that is found from us remembering the words that are in here. Knowing truth. Speaking truth, and we do it with an intention, but we, with, with intensity, because we're trying to rescue by pointing people to Jesus, but we also do it with mercy. It's the love and grace, and they have to go together. Paul says like this in Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. 
but it's against the rulers. It's against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of weakness in heavenly places. There's an opposition. There's an, there's an opposing team. We need to know who we're up against. But we're called to contend. And we're called to be on a rescue mission. See, Jude starts out and he says, contend for the faith earnestly. And then in the next verse he says, because some have infiltrated their way in. These, the, the op- that we're up against, who are trying to change this message of what God has done. And, and then he goes on and he, he starts listing uh, the history of what's happening on in the past. And he goes, remember the history, you got Israel and, and their sin. And then he goes into Sodom and Gomorrah, that sin that was happening there. And, and then he goes, by the way, here now, why I'm writing this letter is because people are trying to do the same thing now. And you know what's going to happen in the future? It's going to be continuing to happen in the future. And as we look into our country, as our nation, and we sit back and we can sit there and hate the way our country is going because it's moving in an ungodly way with ungodly deeds. It's all the more reason we have to contend. We have to contend. We have to value building ourselves up in the most holy faith by remembering the words that have been spoken to us by remembering the truth that are found in God's word, by building ourselves up in the most holy faith, by praying by keeping ourselves in the love of God, by waiting anxiously for his return. By sharing our faith with others. And as we share our faith with others, as we contend for the faith, the, the why we contend, the motivation of why we contend is what we sang about earlier and what we read earlier. It's the end of Jude. It's Jude 24 and 25. Again, where Jude says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Now to him who is able, it's, it's not a, a statement of, I wish Jesus would just keep me from stumbling. It's a declaration. This is what God does. He keeps me from stumbling. Jude is praising God, thanking God for his ability to keep us from falling and failing. And then he says, and to make you stand. In the presence of his glory, blameless, with great joy. There's going to be a day you are standing in front of Jesus face to face. And you will be found blameless if you have trusted in him. Blameless. It reminds me of what Hebrews 12.2 says. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Can you imagine that day? Even though, can you, I guess, can you imagine that day when we're standing in front of God? 
and we get to finally, literally fix our eyes on him, the author, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What is the joy set before him? That was you and me. He goes to the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, and now we're in his presence. And we're not found guilty, even though we, de- are de- we deserve to be found guilty. We aren't being found guilty, we are being found blameless. Not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done for us. And in that moment, we get to fix our eyes on him. And we can end, we can fix our eyes on Jesus and it ends like verse 25, it says, to our God, our Savior. To our God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. Right now, he's saying, before all time, now and forever. Can you imagine? You're going to get to sit there face to face with Jesus, looking at him, who is your God, your Savior, your Lord. And you're found blameless, not because of you, because of him, because he endured the cross for you and took on your sin, paid for it, dealt with it. Now you are declared righteous. You have been given his righteousness. You're blameless in his presence. And we get to worship him, tell him for all of eternity, you get the glory because you, you're the king of kings. You're the prince of peace. You're the Lord of lords. You are God. You're my savior, my Lord. You're the majesty on most high. You're, 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 you're the dominion, you, dominion. It's all yours. The power, it's yours. The authority, it's yours. Dominion, you're the creator. You're the sustainer. You're the alpha. You're the mega. You're the beginning and the end. It is all yours. And I get to stand there. Many of us, we get to stand there and we get to see, be seen as blameless in his presence. That's motivation to contend. And the question I have for us this morning is Jude ends, he says, to our God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The question I have for you is, is Jesus the Savior of the world? Because he is. The question I have for you is, is Jesus your Savior? Is he your God? Is he your Lord? Have you come to a, is there a moment in your life where you're not just recognizing, yeah, Jesus is the savior of the world, but you decided on Jesus being your Lord, your savior, your God, where you realize you have, through yourself, you've sinned against a perfect righteous God and you deserve his judgment, but you're understanding for some reason he went to the cross, enduring its shame for you to know you because he loves you. So you humble yourself and you've given Jesus your life. Have you come to that moment where he's become your savior? 
And if he has, man, we have motivation to contend. And if you aren't sure, if you haven't made that decision, don't leave grace this morning without going. I've declared to him, I've confessed with my mouth that he is my Lord, my Savior. I'm putting my hope and trust in him. And if you got questions and you want to know what it means to have Jesus as your Savior, there's pastors in room one right in this back corner, and we would love to talk to you what it means to have Jesus as your Savior. But again, for those of us who have trusted in Jesus, Jude is written to challenge us to contend. And it ends with those two verses that some would describe in this doxology as the most beautiful doxology in scripture as is praising what God has done for you and for me. And so let's use that as our motivation as we exit the tunnel in a sense that we contend for the faith. If you guys would, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for what you have done for us, that you are our Lord, you are our God, you are our Savior, through what Jesus has done for us, that he despised the shame of the cross goes to the cross for us so that we can one day be in your presence and be found blameless. But God, as we wait anxiously for that day that you will return, I pray that we here at Grace, we would contend earnestly for the faith. That we would know and remember your word that we would be built up in the most holy faith, that we would be praying and spend time praying, be dedicated to that, use that. God, that we would keep ourselves in love, your love, that we wait anxiously for your return and that we would share our faith with others. Lord, we love you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.